as we travel through the book of 1 Kings. If you remember, we left off Solomon dying. Rehoboam, his son, is right on the verge of taking the kingdom. But if we backtrack for just a minute, at David's death, the kingdom was in pretty good shape. It was safe. It was secure. The people, for the most part, were seeking the Lord God Almighty. And then Solomon followed and built his dad's temple and did his thing, serving the various gods of his thousand women at the end of his life. And at that point, the country starts to spiral downward, at least spiritually. If you look at the last verse of chapter 11, it reads like this. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son. And what's amazing about all this is this is actually his only recorded son. Out of his thousand plus women, there's only one son that's recorded, and it says he reigned in his place. And that's the pattern. You reign, your son reigns, and then that son reigns. And so it started with Saul, who reigned 40 years, then David, who reigned 40 years, followed by Solomon, who reigned 42 years. So really 122 years by three kings. For the next 380 years, there'll be 40 different kings over the north and the south. It's amazing when you stop and think about it. 20 of them over the southern kingdom, which is known as Judah, which included Jerusalem as its capital. And 20 of them over the northern part of Israel, known in the Old Testament as Israel. I mean, that's how it's going to be named for quite a long time. And it's not like they had term limits. It just the north had 20 and the south had 20. It's just how it all turned out. Some of them were godly. Most weren't. Others, you'll see, were immoral to the core. Out of these 40 kings, some will last seven, seven days, others will last 55 years. And when you look at it, if you were to try and graph it, let's see, do the good kings live longer? No, there's no, there's no consistent pattern for any of it. So anyway, that's kind of where we are. And Rehoboam, verse 1, Solomon's son, and you know, you're going to bounce back and forth, so I'm going to try and remind us about it. Now, who's Rehoboam? Who's Jeroboam? You know, aren't they the same? No, they're different. Rehoboam and Solomon's son went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, and remember Jeroboam was the mighty man of valor who was Solomon's hardworking, industrious servant that Solomon <coughs> set over all the house of Joseph. Okay, so jo uh, Jeroboam is a servant, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And it says here that Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Remember, Solomon wanted to kill him. We don't really understand why, other than the fact that the prophet was sent to Jeroboam and said, hey, you're going to be the next king. And and Solomon didn't like that, so he took off running to Egypt. He's been hiding out and dwelling in Egypt. That day, the people of Israel, it seems, sent and called him. And then Jeroboam, the servant, and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, saying, so 
if you stop right here for just a minute, it seems like the odds are in Rehoboam's favor. All of Israel has gathered to Rehoboam, Solomon's son. All he's got to do is play it right, right here. All of Israel is going to go right after him if, the, if he will just listen to some counsel here. Jeroboam, the man of faith who had been prophesied over being the ruler over ten tribes, that took off running and fled to Egypt, is seeking to save his life and when he fled to Egypt, is now seeking to make a, a comeback. And I'm sure Rehoboam knows about Jeroboam. I'm sure he does. I'm sure his dad probably told him about it. I'm sure Solomon said, hey, Rehoboam, Jeroboam has been prophesied. He's going to be a ruler, so watch him. So Jeroboam comes representing Israel. Remember the prophet in the last chapter had told Jeroboam that God would take him and allow him to reign and rule over all that's in his heart's desire if he will just simply follow God. That's all he's got to do is follow God. And so here the people come. Verse 4, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Pretty straightforward, honest request, isn't it? We, we just want to be simple farmers again. Hey, we're going to still pay our tax. We just don't want to support the crazy, lavish lifestyle of your dad. You know, can you, can you hear that, Rehoboam? Rehoboam? So Rehoboam said to them, depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. And perfect example of, of Proverbs 29, 11 being played out here. A fool honors all his mind, but a wise man keeps it until later. So it's like, hey, here's the deal. Come back later, and then we'll see where we all end up. So there's a great lesson for us here. If Rehoboam had sought the Lord and not man, he would have ended up in great shape, but he doesn't. He's going to consult men. Two different types. One that's old and one that's younger. Verse 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted, and what he's really doing, I believe, is he is shopping, looking for those who will tell him exactly what he wants to hear. It's a problem. It's an epidemic in the church today. People going around, maybe not here because it's small, but in bigger churches, trust me, I've been there. Let's see, I'm not going to go to you for that answer. I'll go to you for this answer. I'm not going to go to you for that. Oh, this is the answer I'm looking for. I'm going to go to this person. That's what King Rehoboam's doing here. But on the surface, it looks like he consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people or the, the nation of Israel? And again, another proverb being played out that Rehoboam has learned from his dad. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they're established. And again, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So he's seeking some counsel of his father's elders first. But the problem is, I think he's still missing the Lord here. And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today, and if you will serve them and answer them and speak good towards them, good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. So the old guys seem to get it, don't they? 
They, they had the pulse of the people. But I suggest to you, they just didn't have enough courage to speak it to Solomon when he was alive. If you will serve them by lightening the tax load, that they will respond to that leadership and they're going to serve you all the days of your kingdom. That's the message of these seasoned elders. Of course, he's not going to get to build as much as his father, but he'll still be the prime leader over the entire nation. Verse 8, but he rejected their advice. Why? Well, I believe because he wanted greatness. He wanted power, wealth, women, and a luxurious lifestyle like his father had. I also believe he already knew what he wanted before he asked them, so he's just sitting there smiling, listening to them give him an answer. And if he didn't require the same from his fellow brothers like his father did, he wasn't going to be able to achieve those things that in his heart he really wanted to do. And yet we all know what Jesus says about those words and directions. It says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Because see, this dude has a bad heart. So he's going to blow off the advice of the faithful, and he's going to put into practice another proverb. Look at verse 8. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him, and he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young, I had privileged men who had grown up with him and lived the same spoiled lifestyle as Rehoboam. They spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. And see, the people, all they're asking is like, hey, no more chastising us with whips here. Just kind of back it off. And yet, Rehoboam's not into that. So here's a collection of Proverbs that Rehoboam is now living by. No longer seeking to be the wise king. Here's a few. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And it's kind of obvious what piece of advice Rehoboam is going to go with, is it not? Because he's going to go with what, that which pleases his heart. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. You know, the thing they laid across Jesus' back. 
So why did Rehoboam reject the advice of the elders? Why do young people today reject that which is offered to them by others who have already traveled that same road they're on? I think it's one and the same. It always points back to the condition of man's heart. Now, God's going to use the condition of Rehoboam's evil heart to fulfill his eternal purposes. How he does that, I don't know, other than he knows all things. But he's going to use it. And he's using his heart and he's using his reasoning to bring about his eternal purposes. Look at verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people. The turn of events was from the Lord that he might fulfill his words spoken of by the prophet. I hope we can all come to know this tonight. That God is sovereign, that God is supreme in his entire universe, that he created and his words will never fail. That he's the one that's working through, seeking to fulfill all his purposes through the various scenarios in our lives. But on the other side of the coin is man's responsibility. Is we're responsible to make right choices. The Bible teaches them both. I haven't seen them in the scriptures where they try to marry both ideas because you couldn't. We just need to be abiding in him and walking closely with him as well as looking up and walking with him in the midst of the fires and receiving the benefit of walking closely with him as well and allowing him to do what he wants to do because see God has a plan we just don't know it but we need to know that he does and as long as you're walking closely with him then he will use you in a good way to fulfill his plan even if what you're going through doesn't appear to be good at that time but God's going to work out his purposes in your heart and through your heart. Now, I hope that doesn't bother you that God controls you that way, that he allows things because he wants to bring things in and out of your life for a certain reason. Certainly God is outside of space and time. We, we know he's going to work all these things according to his good pleasure. That's why we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. I add in heaven to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. I mean, God, whatever entered into your life last year, it was all part of God's divine plan. Now, why? We don't know. Maybe you know part of it. But God allowed it for some reason. So why Christians air out their hard trials that they had on Facebook for 2018? I don't understand. Oh, it was such a hard year, man. I'm hoping 2019 is going to be way easier. No, man, you're a Christian. It wasn't hard. Rather than looking for the return of Jesus, they're looking for an easier year in 2019, free from bad trials. Almost sounds like they're looking for the Antichrist. Verse 15 again. So the king did not listen to the people. For the turn of events was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shelanite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? This would be the northern tribes. We have no inheritance in the sons of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. 
And I, I add, and he made all those young advisors with the bad advice his personal slaves. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you do that? Hey, this is what you told me to do. But they don't because either A, they blame the people rather than blaming themselves, or B, probably Ray Rehoboam was looking for their advice in the first place. So it's no big deal. Then King Rehoboam, who's in a state of shock, in a state of denial, sent Adoram, who was in charge of the tax revenue. He was the chief heavy-handed tax collector from chapters 4 and 5. You can go back and read all about him. But all of Israel, well, they didn't exactly like that IRS man, and they stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem as reality sets in that he's only left with two tribes. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Why? Well, obviously because it was God's plan. But God used the heart of a man that wanted to uh, live a certain way to bring it about. Now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all of Israel. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of, of Judah only. And we're going to find out also the tribe of Benjamin. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. That he might restore the kingdom to himself is really how this should read. I mean, what about restoring the kingdom to God? I mean, isn't that what we should be about, seeking God's will, not our own? But this reads clearly that he might restore the kingdom to himself. So what about restoring it to, the, to God? Not if the heart's evil. The one's only looking out for himself. And he, really all he wants is the tax money. I don't even think he cares about whether or not the people are allegiance to him. He just wants the money so he can live like his dad did. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to all the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord. I find it hard to believe, but maybe they're, they're afraid. And so they turned back according to to the word of the Lord. Maybe they're afraid they're going to get slaughtered. So, But at least this guy has enough sense to listen to a thus saith the Lord and not seek to fight against God. So he kind of is there. He's got his two tribes. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam, remember he's the servant. He was Solomon's servant. He built Shechem. It's going to become the capital of the ten northern tribes in the mountains of Ephraim. And he dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel, and Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. See, there's a lot of bad decisions that are made in this, these couple of chapters by people's hearts. So anyway, that's what he's thinking. And that thinking and reasoning in the heart will always get anybody in trouble. When a man or a woman reasons within their own heart, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. What about talking to the Lord instead of talking to your own heart? 
The Lord speaks, and Jeremiah the prophet records it this way. If you don't know it, you should. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Let me answer that for us. Not you and not me. Only God can. If we seek to live our life based upon our heart, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. I mean, who would ever want to reason with their own heart that's desperately wicked anyway? Well, pastor, my heart's not really desperately wicked. It's, it's rather quite kind and compassionate. Well, okay. You're in the exception to God's book. <laughs> Verse 27 is a result of making decisions in your own heart void of the Lord. Look how this reads. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord, this is what he's thinking. This is what Jeroboam was thinking. If they go up to offer sacrifices to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Who's he looking out for? Thank you. He's, he is totally forgetting all about all of the promises that God had spoken to him. God had spoken to him. Great promises. So let's call this, for starters, lack of faith. But next to that, this is totally speculation and imagination. The devil's two favorite weapons he shoots at Christians today. Just speculate about it. Well, I imagine, I wonder if this is going to happen. I can a thousand percent guarantee you, if you live life this way, you'll never get to that place that God has in store for you. And the devil, he knows that. Speculation and imagination. He loves to get Christians speculating and imagining things. Totally man's wisdom here. If they go down to Jerusalem three times a year for the Jewish feast and sacrifice there, sooner or later they are going to be won over to the side of Rehoboam. That's what Jeroboam is thinking here. Man, i got to do something if these people make the journey to Jerusalem. Verse 28. Therefore, the king asked advice. Huh. He asked advice on a sinful, bad thing. But who did he adv ask advice of? You, had, you have to read ahead for an answer. So otherwise, you're going to have to wait for it. Therefore, the king asked advice. Doesn't mention who. Made two calves of gold. That should sound familiar. And said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Go up to Jerusalem. You don't want to be inconvenienced. This is the problem in the church today. You don't want to be inconvenienced. It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Hey, here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. I mean, is this not a cheap rerun of an old movie? And it was a bad movie the first time around. It certainly isn't going to get any better the second time. So who was the last person who made this statement? Who? Aaron did. Remember Aaron told them, you know, the people asked for it. Aaron told them what he needed to make it. Aaron fashioned it. And Aaron presented it back to the people, saying these exact same words, or rather Jeroboam is copying these exact same words of Aaron. This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So Jeroboam copies Aaron here. Failing to realize how many were slaughtered when Moses came down the mountain. Remember, the, Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? And the Levites said, we are. And they strapped on their swords and they went in and started killing. Let's just call these golden calves represent God as the advice Jeroboam received. 
Man, you could say, holy cow, we, we have gods we can worship now. The word that Jeroboam received from the man of God when that man first appeared to him and promised him ten tribes. Jeroboam is way into the ten tribes. He's all about being their ruler. But the way about going about it and keeping them is not the prophet's plan that he spoke to Jeroboam at all, but it's Jeroboam's plan. All Jeroboam had to do was seek the Lord and stay out of it. How easy is that? Seek the Lord, stay out of it, and God says, I'm going to bless you. That's all, he had to do. That's all he had to do. Prophet had told him if he would follow and do all that was right, God would be right there with him. That is about as easy as it gets. Same, same for you and me. If we'll deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, and walk with Jesus, we'll make it to the finish line. That's all the more complicated it is. But as Christians today, we can make it so complicated. Just like Jeroboam is going to make it complicated. He, he rejects the simple plan of following God's word. He leans on his own understanding, and he is going into the idol-making business, also known as the holy cow business. Notice the idols that he makes. He makes them out of concern for himself. He doesn't make them out of care or concern for the people. And he makes them out of convenience for all people. Hey, look how nice and convenient it is. And the devil still works that way today. What is best and easiest for me? I mean, you don't want to travel all the way to Jerusalem. You might get mugged. That's fear. That's a seven-day journey and a seven-day journey back. What a waste of time. Look at how much time you'll have to commit to if you do that 14 days of travel. You don't want to go out of your way. Why don't you just pull off the highway of life and enjoy a better way of life and let me make it easy for you. And that's where the majority of the church lives. Oh, I don't want to make it to church, man. It's rainy. Okay, people make it to church when it's snowing. <laughs> but our flesh wants to take the easy road. It wants to be refreshed at the gods that we make. That's convenient and requires no commitment. And so he set up one altar in Bethel, which is about 10 miles north of Jerusalem as the crow flies, right at the border of Israel, which is the 10 northern tribes, and Judah, the bottom two. And the other he put in Dan, which is the extreme northern part of Israel. Now this thing became a sin. Yeah. Why? Because it started as a sin. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Because convenience always wins out over commitment, it seems, back then as well as today. So we need to check our hearts here. Well, this is convenient for me. People give out of convenience. People serve out of convenience. You know, people live their Christian life out of convenience, not out of commitment anymore. we got to guard against that. Verse 31, he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Who's doing this? Who's doing all this? Jeroboam is. Hey, I'm going to make it even more convenient because I'm going to build these shrines on all the high places. So now you don't even, hey, you can just stay in your own community. Why do I want to go to that church? I got 10 right by in my house. Uh, well, maybe, um, yeah, okay. 
convenience. He made shrines on the high places, made them everywhere. Sadly, I add in here, the Levites, who were living up in these northern tribes, who were God's men, they moved out and went south during this extremely long, 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 long season of rebellion. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, you know, because everybody needs to offer a chief counterfeit that's not going to cost too much. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. And the way you read this, it sounds like Jeroboam's offering the sacrifices. So, hey, you can come to my feast. You don't even need to bring anything. It's like a bring yourself and let me feed you type of a thing. That's what It says he offered sacrifices on the altar. It doesn't say anyone else did. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priest. Who's doing all the work again? Jeroboam. And at Bethel, he installed the priest of the high places, which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar, which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month, which he had devised in his own heart. See all that? See how? See where all this activity came about? What, where, did, where did it all come about? Tell the person beside you where it all came about. Came out of his heart. This is what making plans in our hearts looks like, team. This is what leaning on your own understanding looks like. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. Crazy. Look back at verse 28. Therefore the king asked advice. Asked advice of whom? Of his own heart. That's deceitfully wicked, of course. Look at verse 33. So he made offerings on the altar which he had devised in his own heart. Who did he seek advice from? Himself. We don't read of anybody else. He sought it from his own fleshly desires. This religion is very popular today in all the lands. Today you can go to tell Dan and get a picture of what God looks like, at least according to Jeroboam. And as we continue to go through the Bible, none of the kings in the northern kingdom turned back to follow God. So as, as Jeroboam puts this whole thing in place, for the next 380 years or so, they are going to follow the practice of Jeroboam in one way or another of committing idol worship. Not one of the kings turns back with his heart towards God. Not one good king over the ten northern tribes. So we've got to be careful what you do because others might follow. There were those kings, however, in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, that had those that were bad and good. And if they walked with God, God would bless them. But at those other times when they chose to do that, which their brothers were doing up north, God would bring discipline upon them and judge them. So here's the application for us tonight. It's nothing new. God wants to bless. He wants to provide. He wants to pour out. He wants to empower. He wants to give life. He wants to meet all your needs. He wants to satisfy. He wants to fulfill. He desires us his treasured possession. He desires us his obedient children. And all you have to do is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he'll add all this other stuff unto you. You don't have to try and figure it out in your heart like Jeroboam. And certainly don't live off of speculation and imagination. 
that will drive any sane person crazy and you'll get, you're going to miss out on God's best. Just commit your heart and your plans to the Lord Jesus each day and follow him and you'll succeed regardless of what happens in 2019, chapter 13. And behold, a man of God went from Judah. Why? Why does one from Judah have to travel north? I don't know, because all of God's men either headed south or because there are none of God's good men up north, only lying ones? I don't know. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar that he had made to burn incense. So we got a good picture of walking in the spirit by the prophet coming from the south, traveling north, and walking in the flesh as Jeroboam sits here and burns altar uh, incense to his golden cows. Then he cried out against the altar, the man of God that's traveling from the south. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child Josiah, remember that name, by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. So what he's saying is, hey, you've set up all this nonsense, but there's coming a day where there's going to be a child named Josiah, one of the godly uh, line of David, and he's going to come up and he's going to clean this mess up. And he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. You see, this act of burning men's bones is further proof that God's not into the altar that Jeroboam built because it would be a total act of an abomination and it would defile their altar that they, that they made. Now, keep in mind that Josiah that this prophet is talking about will be eight years old when he becomes king. Eight. That's third grade. So I don't know who that would be. Is that Samantha? No, Ava, third grade. Huh? Seven? Five to six. So she's in second. Also keep in mind, Josiah being king is 300 plus years away when this is first spoken. So even though God knows him by name, he's not going to show up for 300 years. And see, that's why one of many places why, hey, hey you want proof that the Bible is true? Well, take your pick. Pick your verse. So much of it God has spoken before any of it ever happens. You can read all about Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 23, where this young boy of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David, is going to come north. He, he, he takes the throne at age 8. By the time he's 18, he is cleaning up the entire nation of Israel. And he's going to come north and clean up the stuff up in the land of Israel. And so it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel, you know, because he's He's mad. He wants he wants to grab that that prophet that came up and said these things. And as he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him, rather than responding to God's word and repenting, then his hand which he stretched out towards God's man withered, so that he could not pull it back to himself. So what do you call that? 
I call that don't mess with God's kids. <laughs> the altar also was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So please notice that the signs accompanied the word of God is kind of important today. I was asked recently if I believe in miracles, to which I said, of course I do. God still heals. God still does miracles. He does everything that he desires to do. And as you read the book of Acts, you'll notice that the signs and wonders always accompanied the word of God. It's never the way, other way around. And I believe it's that way today. God wants to. He could rise from the dead. And maybe he does. We just don't know about it. Um, one side note here, they obviously rebuild the altar because Josiah, when he becomes king, he breaks it apart again. This one, though, this time around, it appears it was all God that split it in two because as he stretches out his hand to grab the prophet, God splits the altar in two, the ashes fall out, and they must rebuild it, you know, get out there, whatever they use to build it, build it again. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me. At least he's not talking to his dumb calves, golden calves. Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. From arrest him to beg him. Please seek the good hand of your God. So God's got the man's attention. Will you notice that the man of God doesn't deal with Jeroboam or seek to defend himself? He doesn't. I believe that enables God to do so. I mean, he, he wants to stretch out his hand against him. He doesn't even respond. God takes care of all that. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. Hey, he prayed, God touched, he healed, obviously. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. Watch this, this is important to remember. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So three things that this man of God is very clear on. Clear on. You shall not eat bread, you shall not drink water, and you shall not return by the same way you came. Very clear directions, three things. This man is not budging an inch, call it test one, but also know when test one is finished, test two is always somewhere around the corner. Now, wouldn't you think that Jeroboam at this point might have a softening in his heart towards the ways of God? I, I mean, hey, he... He, God's man came up, rebukes him, he threatens him, he has his, his arm goes freaked out. God heals him. No heart change. Even though he's had a personal encounter with one of God's men, again, no heart change. So he went another way. The prophet leaves him and did not return by the way he came to Bethel, exactly like the Lord had told him. Now an old prophet is questionable as to his prophetness. He dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. 
And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. You know, come back to where Jeroboam lives. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go with in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I've been told by the word of the Lord. Please, everybody see that? You shall not eat bread nor drink water there nor return by going the way you came. Now listen, this is so critical for us, the church, to grab a hold of. Critical. In other words, get out, don't hang around. He knew exactly what he needed to do. But what's the man of God doing here? Well, we see him sitting under an oak tree. Maybe he's tired. I mean, how far away is the oak tree from town? I don't know. It's quite possible that he's in a place where he wasn't supposed to stop. Or God didn't tell him, don't take a nap. He said, don't eat, meat, don't, eat don't drink. Don't go back that way. But had he not stopped, the liar on the donkey might not have ever caught him. Instead of getting out of that place, he's taking a little siesta. And this man, this lying prophet of God, caught up with him. Look, look at this, verse 18. And he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Now, this is a dead giveaway. This is not the same Lord. Even the Bible records that. He was lying to him. A lot of that going on in the church today. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. We all need to know and be reminded that this is happening in great proportions today. People aren't checking into the word of God, what people are saying. Or people are only saying parts of the Word of God and not the whole story. You know, when God speaks to you or me, stay that course by not turning to the right or, or the left. In my life, in regards to direction, the Lord always speaks to me first. And then at times, others unknowingly speak the same thing to me, confirming that direction. But it's never the other way around. Don't ever let someone come up and say, hey, this is what God's telling you to do. Uh-uh, let the Lord guide you, not man. And please know this. The Lord never contradicts himself, ever. If the Lord tells you something and someone comes and tells you something else. The prophet that had come from Judah to Bethel knew what God had told him. He, he, he had told Jeroboam that he could not go to his house because of the words of the Lord. He told this liar prophet that he couldn't go back with them because of the words of the Lord. So what happened? What was this old prophet's trip? Fellowship with someone who's anointed, or is he old prophet jealous? Does the prophet turn and go in respect of age? I mean, is this an older prophet? So he's going to go because he's older? Hey, listen, watch out. Don't be polite if it causes you to be disobedient because you might just get killed. He goes, even though he knows he shouldn't go. 
It happened as he sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you've disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Bummer. This shows me that humans do not limit God. He can and does work through anybody, even false ones. This false prophet has just become God's mouthpiece of correction to the now disobedient prophet. I mean, it's crazy the way this works out. Because to God, obedience to the word, <clears throat> word of God is a big thing. You know, our flesh may try and convince us that it's not that big of a thing. You know, the force of, of hell may shoot an arrow at us saying, hey, just relax, enjoy your freedom in Christ. Don't be a fanatic. Three days already this week, reading your Bible at the first of the year. Hey, pace yourself. Don't want to burn yourself out now. And I can guarantee you that those are lies the devil's already shooting at people. I saw on Facebook, people said, oh, New Year's resolutions, read my Bible every day. Good. But I can see the enemy coming after him. Oh, you know, you've already read it more than you did all last year. Man, just skip today. It's okay. If you know what God has showed you, then simply obey simply. So it was. After he had eaten bread, was he supposed to eat bread? After he had drunk, was he supposed to drink? Was he supposed to go back the way he came? It's triple strikeout. That he saddled the donkey for him, the old prophet, I guess, the prophet whom he had brought back. No mention of repentance, forgiveness, remorse, or anything from the prophet that came from Judah. I mean, don't you think that, you know, as the, the old lion prophet says, hey, because you've disobeyed the word of the Lord, man, you're not going to go to the tomb of your father. So don't you think you would, the prophet from Judah would repent it at that point? said something we don't see anything verse 24 when he was gone a lion met him on the road and killed him and his corpse was thrown on the road by the lion and the donkey stood by it the lion also stood by the corpse and why this tragedy because of disobedience failure to obey it seems the lion was more obedient to the lord than the prophet was and there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Interesting that people told the old lying prophet now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it. He said, it's the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Isn't that, this is the craziest account in like the Bible. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which, yeah, because you lied to him, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. I'm telling you, it's the most bizarre account in the entire Bible. Look at what the liar prophet said. It's the man of God who is disobedient. And he spoke to his son, saying, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. A lot of donkey riding. I wonder how that reads in the old King James. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. That's pretty supernatural. 
you know, the lion and the donkey hanging out together on the same road. Could it not be that the lion was God's hand watching over his dead prophet? Or is this a picture of the devil roaring as a lion looking for those whom he can devour? Your choice, either one works. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse, please notice where he lays it, in his own tomb. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother, my fellow prophet. So it was after he had buried him, that, and I had selfishly, he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Why is he saying that? Lay my bones beside his bones. It's kind of crazy. Why is he saying that? For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. So he acknowledges, it seems, that this man was a true prophet from God whose words were true and would come true. And so this seems as if it's total selfishness disguised in religion, does it not? You see, the liar prophet wants to be buried with the good prophet not because that man was a good prophet, but because he believed the words of the Lord that he had spoken, and this way his bones would not get burned on the altar. Look, look back at the last part of verse 2. As this man is only thinking about his own bones. Look what it says. And men's bones shall be burned on you. Well, certainly no one's going to take the bones of this good prophet that came up to Judah and burn them on, and defile the good bones on an altar. So this man is saying, the selfish man believed the words of the prophet that man's bones would be brought out and burned on the pagan altar, and he doesn't want his burns cooked. It's like, no, no, so, hey, when I die, just put me with this good prophet. That way nobody will touch it. And if you go back and read the story 380 years later, when they come up, they go, whose bones are those? Well, that's the good prophet. They, don't, they leave them there. Total selfishness at its finest. We need to know the word so when some jealous prophet comes along and seeks to persuade us of a better way, we can boldly say, no way, Jose. It's my Spanish for tonight. <laughs> After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests. Who's making the priest? He did. He made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him. Hey, you want to be a priest? Mail order, here you go. And he became one of the, he himself became one of the priests of the high places. So not only is he a king, he's also the priest. God forbid that. Major wake-up call for Jeroboam. The withered hand, the altar split in two, the dead prophet, but he missed all of it. See, signs and wonders of God's work do not change a man's heart. God's word changes a man's heart. Remember the rich man and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom? And Abe told the rich man, signs and wonders would not convince his brothers if they don't believe God at his word. It's God's word that will change our hearts, not signs, not wonders. So we want to be careful in how we walk, team. All these things uh, that happened in Jeroboam's heart just made his heart harder. Look at this last part of this verse. And you'll see he became one of the priests of the high places. I mean, Jeroboam received his mail order ordination certificate, allowing himself to be a priest. People do that today. 
I don't know where it's accepted, but they do that. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Taking the promises of God, taking the commands of God, taking the words of God, and then disobeying them. And literally dragging them through the mud. That's what Jeroboam is guilty of. But it's even guiltier in a way greater way. Because that which he does is going to follow through for a long time. The word of God is the key to 1 Kings 13. If you deviate from it, the lion will rip you up. And many have been deviated over the years. Many are deviating today. Hey, deviate, repent and get right back to that place. Let me, let me end with this very deep thought. The false prophets throughout biblical history have never been right. The only way to know the truth from the false is by being in God's book. Taking everything you hear, see, watch, participate in, and observe, you got to bring it back into God's word. Don't just think it's true. I don't understand this. People watch stuff, listen to stuff, hear other people think about stuff and think they say the Bible and you go, nah, there's got to be enough of the Spirit of God in you that goes, nah, that don't sound right. Well, then to check it out. Check it out or turn it off or quit listening. Not take it into your heart and see how it feels to you, but take it into God's heart, His, His Word. And if it's there, keep it. If not, run away from it church today it's being lulled into a false sense of security yet jesus said there's only one way to the father don't buy into the false gospels today the false narratives in the church today it's crazy don't cave into it you know jeroboam had such great promise and potential from the lord he threw it all away and becomes remembered down through the years the hundreds of years he's going to be remembered for the sin that he brings into the nation of israel because it's, it's going to say, as we go down through the kings, it's going to say, and they followed the, the, the sin of Jeroboam. Not exactly a legacy you want to leave behind. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives and for your goodness to us. And, and Lord, so many things we can learn in your word from the failures of others. And so, Lord, help us just to be students of your word, Lord, lovers of your word because we're lovers of you. And we just thank you, God, for all that you want to do in our lives and through our lives. So, Lord, to you be the glory, the great things that you desire to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you going back soon? When? Saturday. Saturday. Oh, so we have to pray for you then. Stand up. Come on, let's put your hands on her. Middle. Do you guys pray in your prayers? Yeah. Lord Jesus, thank you for this sweet sister. God, we ask you to just bless her and keep her, Lord.
Marching Spanish Cowpunker. <laughs> Father, we just ask you to be with us and we'll be bless her, her journeys home. Lord, just store up in her heart those things you've spoken to her. Lord, just allow her just to share that with her. She's such a beautiful Lord. Lord, we just ask you to be with her yet more than you do. Lord, just bless her. Lord, we love her and we know you love her more than anyone ever could. So we just ask you to just seal that up in her heart as well. Remind her of that often as she comes back home. Lord, Send your angels to protect her on the journey there, and Lord, you send her with she's with her family and friends back home. We just thank you for that honor of her family, for her journey home. Lord, we just ask you to just fill the floor and bless her. We just ask you, Jesus. And Lord, we're grateful for the work that you want to do with her to be a prison. And Lord, you said before her, Lord, keep her safe. Lord, watch over her. Lord, may your spirit fall upon her. And Lord, you serve her. And may she find safe travels in and out of the prison. And Lord, just work in the hearts of the sick. And that they would turn to you and walk with you this way, Lord. And so we just thank you for all that you want to do. Leave her on the journey there and home and she can go deep in the ministry that we find her. Okay, now let's pray. Ten minutes, please.